slash and cast. themes to handle a whisker presented by the slash and cast podcast network our show discusses horror movies and the phobias they emphasize i am your host emily drunk and tonight we are continuing our look at foreign originals versus their american counterparts aka their remakes and before i introduce tonight's films as well as my co-host let me just quickly remind you guys that you can stay connected with us over on x at Handle with Scare. And of course, you can join us every Tuesday night for Twisted Tuesday on Kick at kick.com forward slash Emily Drunk uh, every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, always a lot of shenanigans ensuing on that front. Uh, but tonight, we are sinking our teeth into the 2008 Swedish vampire standout, Let the Right One In. And of course, it's 2010 American remake, Let Me In. And uh, as you can tell, of course, as always, I'm joined here by my co-host, Grindhouse Zombie. And Zombie, uh, like, I, I think we should preface this again. I, I know you and I both are probably not the biggest fan of the vampire subgenre of, of horror movies out there. But I feel like, for for me, ever since I saw Let the Right One In, that was the one that, like, kind of made me, like... Not necessarily, like, do a double take and, like, deep dive more into the subgenre, but it was one that made me more uh, opportune to go seek out a couple of different vampire flicks afterwards. So, I, I wouldn't say, like, it turned over a new leaf for me, per se, but it definitely uh, was just such a, like, breath of fresh air, uh, at least for me personally. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Vampires are definitely not in my top 10 creature features and i would factor in things like the chupacabra in there right i <laughs> vampires have never been my thing now i still love uh some of i think what we can at this point call the classics like the blade series is fantastic but uh always a little more actiony than you know lore based and even the lore in some of those is a little iffy <laughs> if you know what i mean yeah. um some of the older older movies like the lost boys uh Again, fantastic movie. But yeah, vampire movies, I don't... Uh, it, the Last Voyage of the Demeter is out right now, and I, didn't, and I didn't rush out to the theater to see it. Now, I probably will in the theater because it's a new horror movie, but it, it's not like making the needles on my gauges ping, if you know what I mean. Now, that said, and I think we might have talked about this before, but since we're talking vampires, there's been a couple recently that I thought were pretty good standouts, um, and... Most of them, or the, the two of them that I think are standouts are from 2022, and one of them was called Kicking Blood. And I saw that on Tubi, and that was about a vampire trying to kick the habit. And it was fringy vampire horror, but it was, to me, it was really spectacular. And then the other one was Blood Relatives that came out not too long ago. That one was also really, really good. Um, so to get on to these movies... I don't honestly think I had seen 
let the right one in until we watched it. Like I, I when it started, I'm like, I don't think I've seen this. Um, I had definitely seen Let Me In, um, and it was a pretty good story. But it, I, I always had that thought in the back of my head: Well, this is an American remake, so the original's better. I should probably go find that, and I just never did mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, but Let the Right One In is a standout film. It is a standout film. Um, it's it, fantastic in every way that a movie can be fantastic. Um, the story is superb. The cinematography is superb. The acting is superb from those two kids. Um, it, it's uh, For me, it's having seen it now, it's sort of... If you take the action vampire movies out of the equation, because I think those are sort of a different subset... When it comes to the survivalist vampire lore-focused movies, this is probably the best one. Yeah, it's definitely up there for for me too. I think the only other two that like really caught me off guard that I really enjoyed, uh, and I know I've mentioned both of these prior already, but just to reiterate, um, Only Lovers Left Alive was one that I really appreciated just because there was a lot of like music sense involved in that movie, uh, and just had a different feel to it overall. It was more, I want to say it was like Victorian, but there was a lot more like. Um, it was more old-timey compared to, like, the current pieces that we are getting, which uh, is interesting because, like, the, the U.S. version uh, with Let Me In is, like, set in the 1980s, which kind of, like, feels a little bit out of place compared to uh, the original. Um, but but the other one that I really liked, which just surprised the hell out of me, was A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, uh, which was absolutely fantastic. And, uh, mm, you know, we've yeah. seen that director go on to do other films, which we've... Uh, uh, before you joined the podcast, we had reviewed one of her other recent ones. Um, but both of those were absolutely fantastic. But, like, this was really the one that I'm like, okay, like, in regards to the modern vampire story, this has always been the one that's kind of been, like, the the centerpiece uh, for me personally. Now, Let Me In uh, was directed by Matt Reeves, uh, who, you know, before this uh, was more of a TV director and writer, um, outside of his directorial debut, which came in uh, a couple of years before this movie came out, uh, in Cloverfield. Mm. And I know a lot of people have, like, a love-hate relationship with that movie, uh, both in regards to, you know, the marketing, just the way that it was shot, and, you know, a lot of people will, like, look at, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane and, you know, just kind of talk about how the fact that, like, it kind of just flipped the script on its head it was just shot in a completely different manner and it just grossly outclassed everything that cloverfield did uh but it, it was an interesting jump going from like a, a big like monster movie to something that was a little bit more uh subdued in comparison because it's not as big of a skill uh in let me in but i i what kind of threw me off guard initially uh when i saw let me in uh at the theaters when it came out you know, we open with, like, this ambulance sirens making their way through, like, this snowy landscape. And it kind of, like, starts us off halfway into the movie's story. You know, we have the father who uh, is pretty much nameless uh, in the U.S. version, who has already been hospitalized at this point. 
Uh, we have the Thomas is his name. Thomas. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. but yeah. I don't think anybody ever says it. Yeah. I don't think anybody <laughs> ever says it, and he definitely doesn't give it away. Well, it, to your point though, the the openings in these movies, I, I so when you do a remake, right? Um, and it, it's it's either you do or you don't. But when it comes to the opening, you either almost exclusively stick to the script or you do a fairly a fairly modified but very seeable version of the opening and in this they just went nope to your point yep they're like all right we're going to take a non-linear approach to the storytelling in this one uh so we have the father who's currently in the hospital uh we have the local cop investigator uh who figures out that he has a daughter uh, you know, we know there's an attack that kind of like takes place uh, also at this point in time. Uh, but I, it's interesting seeing how m much differentiation there is in regards to like the adults in these versions. So and let the right one in. A lot of the adults uh, like to, you know, like socialize at the bar or at each other's houses Um and, you know, kind of like the way that they're subdued. You know, we got one that's attacked by uh, Ellie. Uh, we also ha have one that, that's like when she's in really dire need of, of blood at this point. Uh, we see another one who is transformed into a vampire. And the way like that sequence happens, or at least like when like they wake up in the hospital, is done quite differently uh, between the two versions, which is kind of interesting. Even though it plays out in, a, in like the same fashion, just the way that it was shot and just the music uh, that was involved in both scenes are complete opposite from one another. Uh, we also have, like, a horde of cats involved in uh, in one of the kills, which, you know, looking back, you know, that, that to me has to be one of, like, the funniest moments that I can remember from, like, at least to differentiate your, uh, the original from the remake. It's just, like, just so, it felt so random, but it was just, like, a thing of its own. So I'm like, okay, whatever, um... Great, like, I don't think the U.S. version is going to have that, uh, but the the U.S. version tries, uh, and, like, trims, like, most of the adults, like, in the movie, really, uh, and most of the time they're playing, like, these, uh, archetypes, uh, who are basically watched by Owen from his bedroom through the telescope, you know, we got, like, the whole rear window deal going on, seeing, like, oh, like, what are the neighbors up to, and, of course, he ends up fixating on, uh, uh, you know, a couple of people that are uh, undressing because, of course, I mean, you have a telescope. You know, you're going full voyeur uh, in, in this case. Uh, but it's weird the fact that, like, Owen's mother in the remake is just completely out of the picture for, like, the majority of the movie. Uh, and even when she is in the picture, she's pissed drunk, passed out on the couch... Uh, and they, they do this kind of, like, a gimmicky thing in the sense where, like, they don't ever show the mom's face in the remake. Yeah, in the original, as much as, kind of like you said, they did make the adults very social, and they, ha they had a few, a few interesting scenes, and the cats part of it was definitely fun, but they did try to hyper-focus on the kids. In the remake, there was definitely a hold-my-beer-and-watch-this philosophy, because they took, for the most part, the adults... I mean, almost completely out of it. I mean, even even your um, call it call it the father, Thomas. 
you know, even when you see him, you know, he's covered, he's covered in a trash bag, right? So you don't even really get to see much of his face. And, and when they're walking in and like, even when he's carrying that big trunk and they're walking, like his head's down and he's got a hat on. So it's like, you're not like, they went out of their way to not, to not give away too much about the adults and, and, and moreover, almost to make them borderline inconsequential to the story mm-hmm. other than there's kids here. So it, it, by virtue of that, there has to be some adults somewhere, but they're not, they're not important to the story in the remake. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Matt Reeves pretty much dispenses of the father uh, altogether in, in the remake. Uh, with Let the Right One In, we have Foster's father who uh, kind of like lived on the outskirts because he was like a, a woodsman. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, in the, in the U.S. version, you know, we do hear Owen talking to his dad uh, on on the phone. Uh, you know, he's, uh, basically really frustrated over the fact that, you know, she's doing a piss poor job at raising their child. Um, but it never feels like Owen really has any sort of like retreat back to, uh, his father in this case. So no, there's in, no connection yeah. at all. It's, it's, uh, it's subterfuge at this point. It's just, it's mm-hmm. under the surface and it's, it's, it's there because I think maybe for the story, it has to be. Mm-hmm. But it's it's unimportant. And then to what you said, there's no way that Owen can get away from this and flee to his father if he wanted to. It's just it's just not even it's not even a remote possibility. Yep. So in both instances here, you basically have uh, Owen and Abby and uh, Oscar and, and Ellie, uh, respectively, navigating basically just like the very intimidating adult world around them. Um, now, I, I, I think f- for me, it's it's fairly noticeable, like, there is a pretty distinct, like, budget differential between the two. And I'm not going to say that Let Me In has, like, a massive budget by Hollywood standards by any means, um, but definitely a bigger budget than Let the Right One In did. Um, and oh, it's, by it's, four times, yeah. by four times. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, of course, with that, uh, you know, the U.S. version offered kind of like a more graphic, more violent approach to the movie in uh, just about every way. Um, but there was also a lot more CGI involved as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, practical effects like what we got with Let the Right One In. Um, so, you know, obviously you can kind of like a give or take that, uh, especially like for an American audience. Uh, but, you know... Ma- for like the average viewer, maybe they really won't care as as much as you and I would per se. Um, but what's interesting is like the transformation into like a vampire uh, is more. I'm not gonna say like it, it's not quite over the top, but it, it it's so hard for me to be like, oh well, like it's it's more convincing in the way that they went about doing it, but. I have to say, like, in regards to, like, the prosthetics that they use for, like, the father's face when he's in the hospital uh, in particular mm-hmm. was yep. very realistic. So, like, in regards to, like, when they were using practical effects, like, that was really the part that had stood out to me uh, with Let Me In. Well, yeah, yeah. When Thomas, when the, I mean, and going back to the way the movie started and, and how having just seen the other one and it was like. I had another one of those moments where, like, am I watching the right thing? Because it had that. I I I hate to say this, but it almost had a little bit of like a, what if Shining had a part two, you know? Like, but it was called The Shining Two, and you have the cop cars and the ambulances winding through the snowy mountain roads, um, and they kept that as a theme through the whole movie, sort of the snowy mountain roads and the snow plows. And when Thomas was on the side of the road, you know, 
chasing his ever-spilling bottle of blood down the hill. I mean, something about that scene for me was just... I both loved it and laughed at it a little bit because it was just kind of so good. Um, But then, yeah, when he's in the hospital and he, you know, he is... I mean, and, and obviously very brutally burned, and they're trying to... The cop is there trying to get some information on him, just trying to get anything. The... Uh, the effects there for me were not even effects. I was just watching something that had happened. So for me, that's pretty good. I I wasn't, I mean, I'm not an expert in anything, but I'm picky as hell, right? So when I see effects and I can pick them apart, um, it takes me out of a little bit and it didn't do that at all. So that was, that was very fantastic. Um, And just the, that hand scribbled note that said, I'm sorry, Abby and sorry, it was misspelled and it was all in capitals. I mean, it was, it kept you in the moment and it kept you tense. And it was, despite the fact that they sort of turned the, the linear curve of the movie on its ear, it was a hell of a start. It really was a hell of a start. You know, as I mentioned to, uh, obviously like the other big differentiation there is just the fact that the remake is in a 1980s America Uh, And, you know, we do have, like, some pop culture nods kind of, like, tied in to remind us of that sprinkled throughout the movie, Uh, whether it is Owen's uh, obsession with now and later candy whenever he's going, like, to the arcade. Uh, We also have, like, Ronald Reagan on the television uh, and a lot of, like, the ubiquitous, like, Christian TV messages asking, you know, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Well, some oh, of them yeah. are, uh, you know, <laughs> just hanging outside at, like, the playground, complete barefoot, even though there's a ton of snow on the ground. Uh, you know, might catch a cold, maybe you won't, though, because you're a vampire, but to each their own. Uh, but, you know, of course, like, the mom always has, like, the watchful eye, like, hey, I told you to stay in the courtyard. And, you know, it's just like, I've been here the whole time, even though he really wasn't, you know, just out of reach. But, you know, never really getting himself into danger, uh... In this case, but, you know, there's there's a lot of like pieces to this story that really do uh, parallel between the two versions. Um, And one of the things that I really liked about Let Me In, at least that expanded a little bit, was uh, Abby's love of puzzles, Uh, because, you know, initially, you know, when the two meet, uh, we have like the whole back and forth in regards to the Rubik's Cube and uh no, Ellie and Abby are asking about like, oh, well, like, what is that? And you know, she she's basically able to like, you know, connect the dots. Like, hey, yeah, this is like a a puzzle. Uh, but in the remake, you you see like a lot of like these different like fixtures on like one of the tables, uh, which are yeah. all different puzzle toys. Uh, which was interesting. You know, we don't have like. Uh, anything out of Hellraiser or anything. Uh, but I, I thought that was just like a, a unique touch to show like. You're adding more to the character by saying, like, yeah, okay, she already said, like, she enjoys puzzles, but now we've actually seen different, like, completed iterations of them over the course of how however many years. Like, we know she is, in fact, 12 years old, because that's what she said, but she's also been, you know, 12 years old for uh, quite some time, but we don't really know, you know, her overall age uh, at that point. Um, but yeah. I'm- well, I was going to say, exactly right, and I think that's one of the things that came across to me really, really heavy in this. Um, and the puzzles in Let Me In definitely did it. That um, if you go back to a a small unknown vampire film called Interview with the Vampire, um, <laughs> there's a huge 
There's a huge reaction from one of the main characters in that when she realizes that she's never going to age beyond where she is. Mm-hmm. Now, in these, they don't really address that, but they also... I, and I think the puzzles does a piece of this where they they keep you in the context of a 12-year-old. I mean, and a 12-year-old would, I think, would love puzzles and would love Rubik's Cubes and things like that. So I think that's a... Call it a plot device that mm-hmm. sort of helps you keep them in their in their age rage, but at the same time with the two characters, because to your point, they called her 12 years old, but she might be 500 years old. We don't know. But everything that I know tells me that even if you had a kid vampire, even as it ages, it still is going to retain some of its childlike things. And so, you know, coming into a new place, and it might be that she's 500 years old, but has never seen a Rubik's Cube before. So... You know, it's 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 neat how they do that, trying to keep her in that age range. Because, I mean, for me personally, one of the more awkward things about both of these movies, I mean, awkward is not the right word, but I'm going to use it because it fits, is that we're telling a love story between two 12-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's not, I mean, it, it, short of like the movie My Girl, right? You really couldn't. It's not something that people approach and, and bother to make a movie about. Um, and, and moreover, bother to make a movie about it in terms of one of them's a vampire. Because um, I know, you know, if you, if, if you go back and you read the book, um, one of the, the, the points in the book is that Ellie is basically an androgynous boy that was mm-hmm. castrated a long time ago um, and has... And I, I'm guessing by what the original told me is that if she's an androgynous castrated boy, then it was probably a long time ago because her hair was pretty long. So it was probably in a time where boys just had long hair and they put it back in a ponytail because they were working or doing whatever else, you know, um, sort of the, the Bon Pa Ingalls era of things or even later. Um, and in the original, they do give you a glimpse of what things look like. Mm-hmm. And then the interesting part is that the remake never even touches it. Like never just goes, Nope, not stepping on that landmine and just keeps on going. Yeah. It's like they, they basically drew the line, uh, which is shared between both movies of, uh, the kids essentially sharing the bed with one another. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, where uh, the vampire is completely naked uh, in this portion. Uh, and, and of course, you know, like, snuggle buddies and uh, in this case, Owen's like, like, you're you're cold. And, like, also, you know, completely naked. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. oh, is that a problem? No, not really. You know, they just yeah, don't really yeah. make any any sort of deal about it. Um, but but at its core, you know, as, aside from this being a, a, a love story uh, between kids, there's a lot of, like, isolation involved in both movies, uh, both in the fact that, you know, we don't really have too much of uh, parental figures in this case. And, you know, even for the vampire, it's not technically, like her dad obviously you know it's just like her guardian so to speak you know it's uh it's a tool for her survival uh in in both cases and 
that's a that's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. That's and I, this is something that I was thinking about today when I was rewatching just to make sure I didn't miss anything. Mm-hmm. I, I and I, I'm sure you've had this thought, um, but I I sort of mentally deep dove it, and because the movies do end in a fairly similar fashion, do. Um, and I think about let the right one in and Hakan, and then I think about Let Me In, and I think about Thomas. And there's a piece of me that thinks that each one of those were once 12-year-old boys that were wooed in by Ellie or Abby, and then over the course of time became, went from being, you know, going steady, as they, as they mention, to, you know, that becomes they get to a point where their their advancing age makes that impossible because the world would see it as fucking weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, not not that the situation is not already fucking weird, but whatever. Um, and then they go on to sort of be. I hate to say it, like, but they're like Renfield, their keeper, you know, mm-hmm. the person that keeps them. And at the end of each of these movies, the thought that I ended up having was. She's just finding her next Renfield. Yep. That's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you think about it in those terms, and with the isolationist themes and how hard it is to make friends as a kid, well, how hard it is to make friends in life, I guess, um, it actually makes what happens to both Oscar and Owen even more cruel in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Because she knows what the outcome is. Or she, he, she, they, them, whatever the fuck, knows what the outcome is and Owen and Oscar have no idea because they have only lived 12 years where either Ellie or Abby may ha- may have lived 500 years and it may have repeated this cycle 10 times. Right. Cause we really don't have anything that could pinpoint like how old the vampire is. Uh, like I know in the remake, like they're in the whole uh, puzzle scene when we do see all the toys on the table. Uh, we do kind of like have like the photo booth uh, pictures uh, of Abby, which are in black and white. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you can only date that back so far. But like, I can't imagine like that would be like the pinpoint of like, oh, yeah, this was like back when I was a human. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure like it would predate uh, that before, like, she officially changed, uh, into a vampire at this point, but getting back to, like, the isolation, it's not just the fact that, like, we don't really have, like, the parental figures in, in both scenarios here, um, you know, both of them do center around bullying quite a bit, both for, you know, Owen and Oscar, uh, and, you know, the... The, the first time we actually, like, meet the vampire uh, is very similar in the sense that, you know, we have the boys who are looking to, like, fend for themselves and, like, actually stick up for themselves against their bullies. You know, they've, like, picked up uh, weapons uh, for the first time. Uh, in, in the remake, it, it's more interesting in the fact that, like, you know, we have, like, kind of like a, like a faceless mask being worn by Owen when he's doing this uh, and he's basically just like repeating or regurgitating whatever the bullies were saying towards him because he's going to use it against them uh, whenever, you know, the time and place comes uh, in this scenario. But of course that doesn't happen without Abby or, or Ellie uh, in, in this situation. Uh, Cause you know, she's really the one who like tells him like straight up, like, Hey, like 
you, you need to hit back. Like, you can't just let these kids push you around. So, obviously, like, bullying with kids is uh, has always been, like, an ongoing thing. And it's always an interesting uh, kind of, like, topic to tackle in, in cinema. Um, I, I think we've seen it done in much more vulgar ways compared to, like, the way that it was portrayed in, in this movie. I mean, I, I think for a lot of people, probably, like, the the scene with bullying in particular that will, will always kind of, like, be the standout or one that is always going to be the first one to come to mind is probably, like, you know, the Carrie prom scene uh, with the pig's blood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, more, more so than anything else. But, like, even, like, more recent things, uh, like a movie that we were recently just talking about, like The Innocents, uh, mm. with all the kids having their powers and just the the animal cruelty for <laughs> for and i'm not gonna go into detail with that but like that in particular is just like oh man like fuck like push comes to shove like who knows what these kids are actually capable of but we we see the progression uh both with oscar and owen uh when they do you know fend for themselves you know initially it's just okay uh, I'm just gonna nick him a little bit, like with like a pocket knife, and then it turns into this whole sequence where you know they're they're on the ice, and he just gets one solid hit in, and it's just like, man, like you can't say that kid didn't deserve it, but at at the same time, like just beyond that, it's like even the bully's friend circle, in in both movies, start to also bully the bully, <laughs> and it's just like. It's like, man, like, these kids are just absolutely relentless, and they just will not give in. Well, and that's maybe the funniest part of the whole thing, is that when, you know, these group of kids, when they have their their alpha male and their alpha male goes down, it is amazing how fast they turn on him. Mm -hmm. It is just amazing how fast. Um, But I also think that, like, even when you get to be a grown-up and you're living your life and you're doing your job and you're out in the world, there's, I mean... People that are bullies in general, if you're if you're listening to this and you're a bully, I'm going to tell you something. You are a weak-minded individual, okay? You are nothing short of a very sad, very pathetic, yet-to-be-shorn sheep, okay? But even amongst the sheep, there's always a big sheep, mm-hmm. okay? And But when somebody shares the big sheep, the rest of the sheep go, I don't know what to do, you know? And... I, I, this movie, I think, does a good job of showing that, and showing how people will turn on their basic instincts. Like I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do what the big sheep taught me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bash on the big sheep because now the big sheep is down. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's a little bit mind blowing when you think about it. Um, because I think it, there probably isn't a person on this earth that hasn't been bullied from one one point or another. Right. Um, I mean, and let's just say right now. Bullying's bad. Don't do it. Okay? Don't. There's no fucking point. If you have your own mental problems, go work them out yourself. Don't attack somebody else. But at the same time, I think what this movie does a pretty good job of is saying, you know what, there is a point where you gotta stand your ground, and you gotta stand up and fight. Now, I'm not saying let's cut somebody. It's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But there is a point where you have to stand your ground, or you're never going to, and you're never gonna progress past this. Um... And the way this movie portrays it, um, and especially out on the ice when everybody, I mean, that was so just like, there's a part of you that it's like, whew, that's about time. And there's a part of you that was like, boy, that might have been too much. 
Um, so like it, but it totally makes sense because you can see it from both sides. Mm. And then there's maybe even a part of you that's like, hit him again. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the quieter voice in the background. Yeah. But yeah, I had that, too. I had that, too. He's down. He's down. Get him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's it's yeah. It, it's so great, though, because like when that hit does happen, you know, they they do that thing where it's like they they wait a few seconds and then you see the, the blood trickle. <laughs> and it's like, oh, shit, like he connected like 100 percent. And then, of course, just chaos ensues at, at that point. But, you know, they do such a good job at, like, you know, causing the distraction to, like, be able to isolate, you know, Oscar and Owen in the sense. And then, you know, the, of course, the bullies are like, well, what are you going to do with that? And he's like, oh, I'm going to hit you with it if you try anything. And, of course, you know, being the bully, they call him out on, called his bluff, uh, even though he's not bluffing in this situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just comes to show, like, as you said, like, there, there does come a point where you had to stand your ground and, uh, you know, all it takes sometimes is just one good hit. That's really all he needed in, in this case. So much of the points where, you know, not only do uh, the other kids start to dogpile on the bully, but then the bully actually goes and turns to his older brother uh, to enact a little bit of revenge uh, in this case. So it's like, of course. So, you know, the little scrawny kid beat the shit out of me. So, you know, uh, what's the next step going to be? Oh, retaliation. Okay, well, how are we going to do this? Well, he's already proven that he can kick my ass. So it's like, all right, we're going to pick the next big sheep. Exactly. Exactly. The bully hierarchy. And that's always the... I'll tell you what, growing up, I un- I understand exactly that bully hierarchy mm-hmm. because I went, I went through something very, very similar where there was a kid, I had had enough... And then he had an older brother. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, okay, fuck, what do I do now? The sheep just got way bigger. But at the same time, though, I mean, part of what this movie, I think, tries to tell you, and taking the vampire piece of it out just for a second, is that if you spend your life being put upon and you're okay with it, you're going to spend your whole life being put upon. And you're just going to have to be okay with it. But there's going to be a point where... You have to draw a line in the sand, and you have to basically say no more. Um, and you know, and as much in both stories as each of the boys does that, they it, it it's it turns out it's pretty helpful to have a vampire to back you up when the shit hits the fan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, there were there was a very obvious reason why uh, pre-stream uh, before we started the movie, I was playing Heads Will Roll. Uh, by the yeah yeah yes, because the uh, yep. the final sequence in these movies, uh, I I just I the first time I saw that I just remember like holy shit as as soon as it hits the water I was like, bravo <laughs> like <laughs> it was just yep. such an iconic scene and uh, one of the real standouts. Um, but for me, you know, going back to like the like say like the initial attack, but like when. When the vampire is uh, at her, her weakest, or where, like, the hunger is just becoming too much, uh, we, we have the under-the-bridge attack scene in both movies. And what was interesting to me about the U.S. version of this is just how sporadic the movement of Abby was during this attack, because, like, it's not, like, the biggest, like, underpassage. 
Um, so it's it's almost like kind of like a pinball esque movement where you know she leaps on the guy's back and just starts bashing him back and forth against like the walls. And I thought that was pretty well done, at least. Um, in comparison, it was just a totally different way of actually doing it. But of course, like they they set the trap. Like, okay, we got the little girl. She's alone. She's isolated. She's crying. She's asking for help. And of course, mm -hmm. the bystander has no idea what is actually about to happen. And uh, you can't show any restraint uh, in this case if you're the vampire, because uh, you need to feed in order to survive. Oh yeah, the whole I fell and I can't get up, and yeah, it. it I mean, but, you know, but ultimately, I think between the two movies, that's one of the spots where I think this is just me and my interpretation again, but I think they do a little bit to show maybe a differential in the quote-unquote age of the vampire, mm -hmm. where in Let Me In, that felt like the brawl of a young vampire, whereas Let the Right One In, it was more somebody who had some strategy, you know? Um, and that's... But both scenes... but Honestly, especially in Let Me In, Let Me In, I really did dig that. I really just... Just watching it, and it it came right up to that line of being actiony, mm -hmm. but but had just enough restraint to not make me think I was watching a Blade movie, which was good. It was really really well 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 played out, well performed, and it it it, it kept me where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I just wanted to see what the twelve year old could actually do, and turns out she's got some skills. Yeah, almost as uh, she doesn't necessarily always need that guardian figure. Uh, but, you know, still a way of getting additional blood out there, despite, you know, putting uh, a close friend at risk multiple times throughout the movie uh, when he's going out and finding the next victim. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I know you had already mentioned, like, uh, the father figure in the back of the car wearing the, uh, the garbage bag mask. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, you know, like, of course, like, he has this plan in his mind, uh, where, you know, he's gonna get in the back of this car, he's gonna lay down, uh, basically acting like, you know, just general garbage piled up in the back of, you know, the, the sedan in this case, uh, and he's only got to deal with the driver. Sure enough, what ends up happening, one of the boys needs a ride, and now there's two people. So then you're like, fuck. Well, now, what the hell am I going to do? Because obviously the plan has changed at this point, and you're going to need a way to uh, separate the two uh, in this scene. Uh, and, you know, it kind of plays out in the sense that, like, uh, he needs to stop to get gas at the gas station. So that was... The, the easiest, like, way to, like, write in, like, okay, like, here is how we're going to isolate one of the victims in this case. But they do that, that thing where it's, like, you know, he he's trying to adjust his seat. And, of course, there's a little bit of a kickback because, obviously, there's a body in the back seat. Uh, but he he doesn't think, like, there's enough, like, uh, like pushback from that. He just thinks, like, oh, yeah, there's just, like, shit in the back. But, uh, you know, nothing to actually worry about. So he doesn't really suspect anything at that point in time, which I thought was pretty interesting. It's not until he reaches to the backseat to grab something uh, before he, like, fully realizes, like, what is actually happening. Because And that is a moment where he actually sees, like, oh, shit, like, there's someone in the back of the car. Um, but it was definitely, like, one of those scenes where 
you know, as a viewer, you know, it always, like, pulls back to, like, the urban legends approach <laughs> to, like, the serial killers. Just waiting in the back of the car. So I, I really appreciated that moment. But, like, just... It was the easiest way to, like, explain, like, okay, like, how am I going to get this killer? How am I going to isolate uh, when the plan goes awry when there is more than one person? Oh, I know. We're going to stop at the gas station. One of them's going to be going inside to pay for things. And then you got the other guy, too, uh, basically all by himself at this point. So it's like, okay, I can still get the kill in. We can get the blood. Uh, and obviously, you're still going to have to get the car. Because how else are you going to get, you know, the body back at this point? But a really cool way for for them to actually do that approach. But I I just I laughed so hard though when he kicked the the chair back to <laughs> to adjust because it's like you know you would think there would be less give there knowing that uh, there's uh you know a human literally right beside you in this case. Well, yeah, and I think that was one of the uh, I don't know kind of the big changes from the original movie, mm-hmm. you know, because in the original that scene. And that's where we get the, you know, the hydrochloric acid scene. Um, in the original, it was kind of in the boys' changing room, you know, and he was going, he was going after that one kid. And this is probably, probably the one. I don't know, you know, one of the the few times that I thought this movie, the uh, the remake, got overly Americanized. Because they had to do the hydrochloric, you know, the, the the car has to, you know, has to flip over and end up in a ditch somewhere. And I, and I was, there was a piece of me that was just waiting for the fireball, like the <laughs> 80s fireball that came out of the gas tank. It didn't happen, but I was waiting for it. But that's when we get the acid scene um, in uh, in that one. So, I mean, another, another one of those times where the the linearity of the story is changed and it still works. It still works. But it, one of the few times in the remake where I went, oh, yeah, this is the American version. Like, OK, there's got to be a crashed car. There's got to be all these things. Um, but, yeah, with the car scene, I mean, it, it, that's. I think just by by scale and scope, when you look at the story, um, they definitely. From the original to the remake, they took a lot of the kids away from the school. Because there was a lot of scenes from the original where they were in the school and things were happening. And, you know, the <clears throat> with the remake, I mean, they, they made a point of like the snapping of the towel thing. They definitely kept that in the school. But a lot of scenes they took out or they moved to a different location in the remake. Um, but to be honest, I this scene and most of the other ones, they work, work really, really well. Um, it, yeah, when we get to the end here, this is going to be an interesting one because... Um, uh, I found myself liking both both these movies uh, quite a bit. So, but we'll we'll get to the end and then we'll see where we where we stand. But um, another one of those scenes that was it was, was super well done. And for a remake, we've talked about it before. When a remake takes a scene, changes it from the original, and then does it really well, it's like, hmm, mm-hmm. you sort of caught me off guard there. I didn't think that was going to be like, mm, damn it. Okay, that was good. All right. Absolutely. And uh, I, I want to say, too, like in regards to uh, just a portrayal of the vampire's looks between the two, um, Abby's kind of portrayed more 
I think animalistic would be a better way to put it in regards to like her persona. Like it's it definitely has kind of like that more dreadful approach to it. And a part of that is definitely it's it's emphasized a lot kind of like by the cosmetics that we see on uh, on Chloe Moretz in, in this case, you know, like her her skin tone in particular uh, is like pretty snowy in comparison. Uh, you know, it's rather than like the usual like discharge uh, when we get like a glimpse of like any sort of like sickliness uh, in, in regards to that. Uh, but like her eyes too, like especially like when we get to uh, the whole uh, blood brothers, for lack of a better term, uh, scene in the in the movie, uh, where Owen is slicing his hand open uh, with a pocket knife, and you know you see the the blood drop on the floor, and uh, you know Abby's just. I don't hungry in this case, uh, you know, you have that moment where she like looks up at him directly into the camera and, you know, you just have like that very demonic obsessed look in her eyes, which is just so well done. Uh, and I, I just absolutely love that. So I thought it was, you know, you can definitely tell the difference in, in the vampire approach of both movies, but, but it's, it's definitely, you can definitely tell like that is more of an American iteration than a counterpart. Obviously, like that's more that more of a look that we are accustomed to seeing uh, in like these U.S. vampire movies. Um, but I, 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 I will never like not like kind of laugh to myself though. Whenever like we do hear like the like the eating of the blood off the floor, <laughs> you know, it's just like a cat. Like yeah. licking a licking out of a bowl because it's just like and you got like a little bit of a growling going on at the same time too and it's just like man and you just have that moment where it's like oh shit <laughs> and like there's that tension building up uh, to the point where like Abby like basically just hold him flat out like you know this is why we can't be friends but like she basically runs off because she doesn't want to actually hurt Owen uh, in this scene because you know obviously he's bleeding. She's already fed a little bit. And, you know, even, like, throughout some of the other encounters between the two, like, you can definitely hear, like, a stomach growling because, like, she hasn't fed for some time. So it, it was definitely interesting to see, like, the the level of restraint at, uh, at her age, regardless of how old she is uh, in total years, uh, just how much restraint she was able to have, uh, even in the moments where... There wasn't blood present because, you know, obviously you're still feeling that hunger. Uh, and, you know, we, we do see her uh, kind of like sprawl out and attack some of the neighbors who were like walking by at one point when the hunger becomes too much for her to uh, actually deal with in this case. Uh, but just the overall complexion of the vampire approach with Abby in particular, way more Americanized than what we got in the Swedish version for sure. Oh, totally. Yeah. And through the whole movie, and you talked about restraint through the whole movie, um, because you do come to a realization where at any point, whether it's Ellie and Oscar or Abby and Owen, that the boy is the easiest piece of prey she's ever going to find. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't ever, you know, she doesn't ever just go, oh, screw it. You know, she doesn't ever attack him. But I also think that's a piece of the build up to finding her next her next Renfield um I did sort of like 
how, and I'm having a little bit of a brain fart here, so if I'm wrong, tell me. But the original um, went pretty far into, especially like when she comes to she comes to his window and wants to be invited in. Mm-hmm. And they show, and this is, I think, a piece of a piece of vampire lore that's very rarely touched upon um, and never shown in a movie. It's, it might be talked about a little bit, but it's never shown. But how she, because in both movies, she insists on being invited in. But in the in the original, he doesn't at first, and she comes in, and they kind of give you a little bit of a show what happens when she's not invited in, when she starts bleeding from the eyes and all that stuff happens. Um, and that was a fucking incredible scene. I mean, just absolutely incredible. Um, and I know the invitation is extended eventually in both one, but the original does such a good job with using that very rarely piece of really very rarely seen piece of the lore to its advantage and i can see how you know as someone who's a producer of this might go why do we have to do that mm-hmm. but from the creative side of things it was fucking amazing it was just amazing yeah and it's it's a very striking individual more so in the original for me because in in let me you can definitely tell it's cgi blood in in this sequence but but with mm-hmm. Ellie in particular, just the way that they did it, like you have like the blood eyes, you have like the blood tears. It's not just like a stream like from the forehead down, like what we got uh, with with Abby in the remake. So just the way the approach that I took to it was just so more convincing, and it, it made it look uh, just more hurtful to the vampire in this case in the original. But yeah, definitely not something that we really touch upon uh, all too much. Kind of. Kind of like the same case, too, like with vampires being able to fly. Uh, we don't really see it all too much. Obviously, like in the remake, we see Abby uh, doing a, a pretty good job of just like scaling trees, per se, uh, before yeah. like she's like on the perch getting ready to uh, jump on one of the neighbors who is uh, storming off with her dog after having like an argument or something like with her boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was something like that. Uh, and then, you know, she just latches on to the chick and bites her in the neck. Uh, and turns her, uh, which, you know, comes into play later. Uh, but, you know, in, in both cases, you know, you have the moment where, like, the boy's asking, like, well, how did you get up here? Like, we're on the second story, <laughs> you know? And and it just very, very nonchalantly, you know, the vampire's like, oh, yeah, I flew. And it's like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, excuse me? Like, you, you, you never have, like, that euphoric moment with the boy where it's like, wait, what did you just say? Like, did I hear that right? Uh, yeah. Just brushes it off. Like, it's just no big deal. Like, okay, I definitely would not be that way. <laughs> Yeah, he does never stop and just go, uh, like, wait, what the fuck? Huh? Yeah, he definitely never does that. But, but I mean, if you think about, for me, it's easily sellable mm-hmm. because if you th- if you think about being twelve years old and you have a crush on the neighbor girl, if she told you that she could shoot laser beams out of her ass, <laughs> you'd probably believe her, you know. But that's just. But I think, and to be perfectly honest, I think both movies do a good job of. Okay, let's be honest here. In any in any romantic interlude, almost exclusively the woman has the power. We all know that. We don't talk about it, <laughs> but it's just the fucking truth. And it doesn't matter if you're 12, 22, 32, 42, 102. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, and 
both of the movies do a good job of making you understand that, but also sort of not rubbing your face in it, mm-hmm. not not being like like okay, this is just how things are. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And I, I, one more thing that I loved about both movies, it's like you know this kid is clearly smitten, and. I in both movies I I thought from the get go that there were ulterior motives, but that's just life. Right. <laughs> so it's not it's not that hard to like go. Wait a minute, she's thinking something. That's just what happens, you know. I mean, so the power dynamic being as skewed as it is, I think for most of us is also very normal. So it doesn't like I said, it's not rubbed in your face, it's not shoved up your nose, like, and and they don't. I don't think they portray the kid in either movie, you know, really as just like a little bitch. Mm-hmm. He's because he's not a bitch. He's 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 trying to find his own way. Does he get some help along the way? Sure. I mean, and again, back to that having a vampire as a friend is a pretty good fucking deal. But I, but I think he also is trying to find his own way. Now, again, I think I still think the overarching theme is he's going to be each of them's next Renfield. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know that, and it's probably almost better for him at the time if he doesn't know it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it, it makes sense, like, that's the, the arc and demon here, because literally, it's kind of in the title, you know, let the right one, in this case, into her life, in this case, for the vampire. Uh, but yeah, uh, so... Going towards, like, the, the third act of the movie, obviously, uh, the retaliation arc comes into play with the bully, the older brother, uh, and, you know, we, we have the absolutely fantastic swimming pool scene, <laughs> which is just so well done. And now, I'll be honest, when I first saw it, I, I did have one major gripe with how, how it's played out. So... You know, obviously, we're doing, like, uh, underwater aerobics uh, with, with Oscar. And, you know, the bullies, they are, uh, you know, they have a plan. They have a distraction that uh, they are putting in place. They're setting a fire at the school uh, in order to lure the gym teacher out of the pool area. Uh, you know, so we got the distraction. Teacher runs out to go check on what's happening, sees that there is a dumpster fire, Enter the bully, or the older brother in this case, uh, and, you know, one of the other bullies is, like, still, like, filling in for, like, the gym teacher, like, still doing the steps and whatever, and then you have the older brother coming into play, who, uh, basically is telling, like, flat out, like, okay, like, you are either going to hold your breath underwater for three minutes, or I'm going to cut you, in this case. You know, it's, it's not necessarily in... An ear for an ear? It's an ear for an eye. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. For one, that's not the expression. So that's already that's already a falsehood. But the the part that bugs me is the fact that, you know, we, we have a moment where you know the the bully the older brother isn't necessarily like within reach of Oscar, and you have all of this open water <laughs> of the swimming pool, right? So if I'm Oscar and I and I see this, I'm uh not moving in to the outside of the pool. I'm moving backwards. <laughs> like, why aren't you creating any sort of separation between the two? 
Yeah, it definitely seems that's, like a, like that's, do that's a doggy paddle for as long <laughs> as you can thing. Yeah, just, you know, well, but I mean, but again, it, another one of those things where I think that's just because I understand exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I think I think you could have made that scene longer and you could have made it, you know, where he gets to the middle of the pool and he's looking to all the edges and and but I think it. Uh, to be perfectly honest, it would have just drawn out way too long. <laughs> I, I get that. It was just more yeah. of a fact that it's like, I don't think that would necessarily how it would like pan out per se. But yeah, I, I do understand it. There's like, there's part of you that's like, okay, like this is my, for lack of a better term, comeuppance. <laughs> you know, like, let's get it out of the way and uh, hopefully it won't be too bad. Uh, and uh, sure enough, at least for Oscar and... <laughs> and our you know our other male in this case uh it's it's not bad for them because sure enough like yes we do go through with the underwater uh test uh i wouldn't say they necessarily pass the test by by any means <laughs> but well. just the the underwater shot though is honestly like if if i'm thinking of just cinema <laughs> mm -hmm. like to me this has always been like one of those scenes where you know w with horror movies like yeah like we've we've definitely seen like these paranormal movies come out where we're accustomed to seeing like bodies getting thrown mm -hmm. but we haven't necessarily seen anything where it's like oh we're dragging them across the water yeah it was just a completely different experience, and it was just something that really stood out to me. And that was even before we got, like, the beheading <laughs> part of the sequence it added into the fold. So when, when I first saw that, I just, like, I'm like, what? Holy shit. Like, what is going on? And then, of course, like obviously, like, you know what's happening, like, above water, because, like, there's only one person here who would have the capability of actually, like, following through with this to, like, this level of severity. Like, obviously, the vampire is just going to town at this point in time. But it was just one of those scenes where I was just... I wouldn't say dumb about it, but I was just, like, so amazed. I was like, holy shit, like, I was not expecting that at all well i think if you if if you've seen enough horror movies and you have a shred of common sense you had to know it was coming mm -hmm. um but uh, to your point some of the scenes it was like especially the one that's like did somebody drop a jet ski in the pool and is now like and so it's it's the visuals are incredible um and the beheading especially is nothing short of beautiful it's just nothing short of beautiful um and you're right, yeah, with a lot of the paranormal movies, it's like, you know, with people being pulled by wires and jerked around and done whatever else. And, and a lot of it is is fucking, like, great. Like, like paranormal activity, the end of paranormal activity is great. It's absolutely great. But with this and with the kids and with the bullies and especially the test, um, even though I think I saw it coming... I don't think I saw it being as glorious as it was. Mm -hmm. um, and because I'm thinking, and I probably should have known better, but I'm thinking comeuppance because comeuppance is a great word for it. But this was nothing short of a massacre. Um, but from the comeuppance standpoint, it's 
almost like kind of what had to happen. And as over the top as it was, I was just like, <laughs> yes, finally. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone, everyone is getting their payback. And it's just, it's so well done. And going back to the thing that I think that he is uh, apt to be her next Renfield, I think it is the time that she was cementing that relationship. She cemented it. Like, and it's, you know, not to do the tit for tat thing, but it's like, see what I did for you? And from there it was like, yeah, I, 12 years old or not, he was just done. He was just done. All the walls were knocked down and he was just like, whatever you need, my lady, you know? And from there, just let's go. Yeah, no, uh, one of the other, like, nice touches to this, too, is, you know, in regards to uh, the the bully circle, uh, you do have one of the boys who is very reluctant at actually following through with any of this, uh, so much to the point where he basically chooses to sit this one out. You know, we see him just, like, chilling on one of the benches, uh, and sure, like, he's watching as things unfold, uh, but... He is left alone in this case because he was not partaking in, uh, you know, this this retaliation sub, like arc of the story. Uh, so we just basically see, uh, you know, Andreas just sitting there on the bench completely in tears after seeing all of his brothers or, you know, schoolmates just getting absolutely slaughtered uh, in this case. Uh, and... You know, with no, I the yeah, I think you. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just saying, like with the with the original too. Obviously, like at that point, you know, as you as you said, like that cemented, you know, the two of them together so much to the point where you know they start to uh, travel with one another. Yeah, for the for the last kid, and and to your side, the the unwilling participant. I mean, and I mean, let's be honest, we have all been in a place where we've been in a group of people where something has happened, and we have been something of an unwilling participant. Mm-hmm. And we all know that as people, it is easier to be a go-along, get-along than it is to buck the status quo. Um, But that, to me, is another thing that tells me something about the tenure and the patience of the vampire. Mm -hmm. And looking at this and going, yeah, I think you've learned your lesson. So there's no reason for you to die. You know, I think you will go forward and you will be better at this going forward yeah i know there's i know there's a cat and there's her asshole yep yeah sorry it happens every time i i am so used to seeing the cat's asshole that uh it doesn't really phase me anymore i mean i still smirk but well so you're it's you're still you're still touched you're still touched by her presence yeah but without fail yeah but so getting to the very end in, in both of these films and I mean, they both, you know, basically end the same way. Um, And kind of one of the things that I thought was funny, um, and I've got to find my notes here, and the cat is not really helping, but (laughs) the, the, uh, the Morris code Mm -hmm. that they're doing. um, And with let the right one in, it's kind of just a, it's just kind of a box. I don't think it's like super ornate or anything like that. Right. And with let with let me in, it is more of like 
a steamer trunk. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. well, so, but I think that says something uh, to me, it says something about the age of the vampire, like in let me in. I think the vampire was meant to be shown as older than it was maybe in let the right one in. Mm -hmm. Um, just because a steamer trunk is not something that people have used since maybe like the 1920s, you know, right. whereas the, the less ornate, just sort of box was more, you know, I could have a Chevy 350 in that box and nobody'd know, you know? Um, so, but again, just one of the dumb little points that I picked up that I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, just, you know, on the train, headed out of town, and it's like, you know, what does the future hold? And I think in both situations, the future is that, you know, both Oscar and Owen have now become the keeper now, the interesting thing to me is, um, and I think the reason why this young vampire has always had a keeper is that a kid by themselves somewhere, somebody would notice. Right. You know, somebody would notice. Like a kid can't go rent an apartment or do anything like that. The thing that I don't get, the thing that I can't wrap my head around or make things, the thing that I can't make sense in my head is that, okay, so she loses her older fatherly Renfield mm -hmm. and now she's on to her younger same age Renfield like how does that work for the next 10 to 15 years yeah exactly like one where are you going to stay yeah uh be, probably being the biggest thing uh two at what point are we gonna have that transition period where the boy is going to be the one providing the blood because um, yeah. initially, I mean, I, I think the safest bet is the vampire would feed off of the boy initially uh, over going out and actually killing. Because um, you don't you don't want to leave a blood trail, uh, especially like if you are on the oh. run or if you're you're moving around. Um, but, you know, you have to have that point where like you're entering adulthood and then. You're proceeding from that point where you are going out finding the fresh blood in in this case, and then you know you go through the whole ordeal of like, okay, well, who are we going to target? Oh, I know, we're only going to target bad people. So you have that discussion of like, well, we can't just kill junkies because then I might get high in their blood, and then that becomes a whole ordeal. And, you know, it's just like, you know, like the deeper you think about it, you know, you just keep going further and further down the rabbit hole, and I don't want to keep going <laughs> because it's just oh, so see, many I would. Discussions. I, I, I would I, I would say that I have already been down the rabbit hole and I think I have at least a piece of it figured out. Okay. So, you know, so they're they're basically going off on a train, right? So mm -hmm. they're off on a train, you know, and things are going on. And so the whole thing starts like it or it feels like uh, uh, for the vampire, it's like her next life's rebirth. Okay. Right. And I'm thinking she always starts at a very low point. So, I mean, I start thinking about like boxcar hobos and things like that. And. I think they're going from, you know, having a place to live where they have Rubik's Cubes and TVs and dinner plates to a, a much, much more basic existence where they just become, I, I mean, I hate to use the term because it sounds like, but they become boxcar hobos and they're just, <laughs> you know, and they're just jumping train to train until they get to a point where the the boy is old enough to go out and try to make his way. And then, then they go into, you know, maybe a shitty little apartment and then, but things just completely get better. But mm -hmm. 
Like I always from both movies, I got an expectation of when she is going into the box, she knows that she's going to come out in a different life, in a different lifestyle, and things are going to be completely different. But I also get the feeling that she's done it so many times that she knows that it'll work out. Mm-hmm. So I it's d- like I can definitely mm. see that. I guess like the other point to make or another approach that they could potentially do uh, just to I say necessarily like lay low, but just like give them a little bit more stability. Maybe they are just acting as orphans in this case, since, you know, they are starting a new life. Oh. Maybe they're trying to find a new family, uh, oh, you know, on, like a brother the, and sister. On, on oh. the train as well. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, just being the and, you know, given the time, I mean, because both movies are basically the 80s. I mean, I, it, it, there's probably a time where it probably was easier to just find random children and take them in and nobody asked any questions, you know, versus now if you, you know, had two random kids come to your house, the odds are your neighbors would call the cops and go, what the fuck is going on, mm-hmm. you know? So that's a good point. Maybe that's what it was. They they make a brother and sister trio or something, or a trio, duo. <laughs> There's only two. God, I should drink less. <laughs> um, anyway, um, but it kind of makes sense. Yeah, and maybe they find a new family and they... But uh, see, th- see the one uh, the one problem I see with that, <laughs> the one, and I'm just I, and I'm not trying to shit in your Cheerios here, but the one problem I see with that is what happens five years down the road when he's aged and she hasn't. Fair point. Mm-hmm. So it's like I think we would have expected her to have gotten her boobies by now, and she hasn't, you know. And it's like, and he's you know a senior in high school, and he's buff and whatever else, and playing football, and she's just like, so. I still like the idea, though. I like the idea. So, they can, they okay. Can I, I got play it. it off for a year. <laughs> oh, you, uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> so, okay, so rather than going the brother and sister route, you know, uh, they are going to uh, mark a target on the train. They're going to get off at whatever stop. They're going to follow them, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then they're just going to attack them wherever that couple lives. So we'll we'll still end up turning them in this case, but you know we'll still have a place to stay, and then we'll make that Erdin. Oh, okay. So they're going. So I mean, are they going to turn the couple all the way, or are they going to keep the couple as fledglings and still have them pay the bills and the mortgage and whatever else, but they've still got to come home before sundown, sort of thing? That that could be. I don't know. Like I I don't know how like the vampire life. Uh, like how much of the, how much of their humanity are they actually going to retain in this case? You know, because it kind of varies based on the hmm. vampire movies. But uh, I was just throwing it out there. That could be another possible solution. That's interesting as hell. I like that. I totally like that. That they find a, you know, a for whatever barren couple that have struggled to have children, and they're and they you know they cozy up like a lost puppy, and they get taken home, and. Yeah, and they they make them their fledglings, but they still, you know, no one knows any better because the bills are still being paid, and mm-hmm. you know, I, okay. Now I haven't read the book, so I doubt they actually like go into any of this. But uh, well, you, you never know. Well, that's probably true, but I mean, you know, half of what we do when we talk about these things is. Uh, I mean, we we spend so much time watching the movies, and in, in the case of what we've been doing for the last month is we're watching two movies. So I mean, it's like, right? It's both it's both twice the effort, but at the same time, like twice the the thinking of like, hmm, I wonder what if. And so I think that might be what drives us to this point of going like, 
So so should we write part two and just see what happens? Uh, okay, so, maybe... so I, I pulled up the wiki for the novel just to see, like, specifically on the train. Okay. Okay. Uh, and this is just one. It's one sentence. <laughs> so I'm just going to okay. read it, though. So this might explain at least part of it. Um, Ellie and Oscar flee the city with Ellie's money and possessions. So, um, you know, maybe maybe she's been uh, saving for a while. <laughs> I, so well, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, you know, I, I can't imagine, like, we're going to go to, like, some shady motel. We're just going to throw some money at, like, the, the clerk and be like, room for two, please. And then, you know, him just being like, how old are you? No, fuck you. You can't get a room here. You're not an adult. <laughs> Well, the book, yeah, I mean, the book was written in 2004, so I think even then you had to have a credit card to get a hotel room, right? Um, but I suppose it's one of those times where you just have to, you have to take off your thinking cap and put on your dunce cap and just be like, meh, okay, all right. But her money and her possessions it is an interesting little factoid because that says that, to me, that says she's probably been around for a while and, you know, probably has a... A couple of gold chalices to sell if things get rough. So, um, sure, why not? Well, shit, now I gotta read this fucking book. Hold, God damn it. Let's see. <laughs> Thank you. Because I, because I don't have enough to do. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the real question um, is, can you pay hotels with cash in Sweden? <laughs> uh... <laughs> Maybe Sweden's a little more liberal than I think. Well, no, Sweden's pretty fucking liberal, so maybe. But in 2004, maybe today, yeah. I, would, I would seriously doubt <laughs> I, it. I would, I would imagine today it would probably be a hard no. Yeah, and especially with two 12-year-olds checking in, it's yeah. like at that at that point, someone's got to ask who's pimping who. So <laughs> it's like, I don't even know. Yeah, but um, so overall, these two movies, um, it, it, it's almost... I I don't I don't think I have a good a good vibe for where you're sitting on which one you liked better. Mm -hmm. Um for me uh both were very good. Yep. Both were very good. And that is that's always surprising with the remake. Um I think story-wise, tonally, uh a little bit of the silliness when it comes to the parents. Um a little bit of, uh, you know, having Virginia burst into flames in the hospital room and somebody throws the curtains over. I I think uh, the original probably has to win the bet. Mm -hmm. um, but they're both very, very good. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like, for for me, uh, you, you know, I know we did Wreck versus Quarantine. And, you know, there there are a lot of things that are beat by beat in those movies. And obviously there are a number of things that... Uh, make quarantine uniquely Americanized. And I would say that's definitely true about Let Me In, too, in regards to the approach of how they portray the vampire, uh, both uh, in regards to the attacks, in regards to the yep. aesthetics and everything. Um, so it's very easy to pinpoint, like, okay, yeah, this is definitely, like, the U.S. version of the movie. Um, but there's also, like, enough in there to really justify, like, even if you have seen Let the Right One In, to go seek out the remake because it is good so like i'm just glad that like e even the fact that like i haven't seen let me in since i saw it initially in the theaters that i still enjoyed it as much as i did much like yeah. i did with quarantine 
Uh, and, you know, it's not a case of like, okay, this is US version, we're just going to uh, double up the body count and call it a day. Um, mm. It wasn't quite beat by beat uh, in, in comparison in, in this case, but both really solid movies. I think for me personally, just the fact that the vampire is a little bit more subdued with, with like the approach overall in, in the original makes it stand out yeah. a little bit more, but both of them are fantastic movies. Like um, even, even if I were to like grade them on a scale of like one to 10, like I don't think I would even put either at least below like an eight, <laughs> you know? So like they're, they're both oh, yeah. fantastic yeah. In, in their own right. But you know, for, for a sophomore effort uh, for, for Matt Reeves, you know, I, I do like Let Me In a lot more than I liked Cloverfield. Uh, so to to see to see that jump and, you know, it's not that I didn't like Cloverfield. Like, I, I thought the marketing was really unique. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was like top five marketing like schemes overall, but the way that they approached it was very unique when it came out. So like it really helped uh you know, make it more of like a standout thing, but like the the overall movie definitely wasn't quite what I was expecting because like obviously like you have like this built up image in your mind of like okay like this is a creature feature like let's see some kaiju mayhem and then it's a lot of like skirting around like the subject matter <laughs> and just a lot of like scurrying uh, essentially. So it's just like well that's uh not quite what I was expecting, but not bad, just not. The full extent of uh, what I was getting, whereas with like Let Me In, it's just like okay, I already have a good idea of what we can expect from this. Uh, they they did enough to differentiate it uh, mm -hmm. from the original, which is good, which is a very important thing because you know you and I have talked about like how there are remakes out there that are just either so far construed from like the original that it makes it almost unwatchable, and sometimes that it that turns out to be the opposite case, like with Suspiria. Uh, as we talked about last week. Um, mm -hmm. But then there are just some that are just like, well, why did this even come out? Because it's literally just the same movie in some in, <laughs> in some cases with the same director. Shot by shot, it's like, why? You know? But uh, to, to each your own. But let me in. Fantastic. Let the right one in still for me. Kind of like the centerpiece for uh, the vampire subgenre, at least for the modern vampire uh, and, you know, both of these are holding up extremely well, but it's just, for me personally, I'm always, not always, more times than not, I'm going to lean into the movie that provides the practical effects, that has a little bit more emotional attachment, and the original definitely leans into that a lot more than the remake, because, you know, with the, the CGI blood, that that's always one of those scenes that kind of, like, detracts uh, like a viewing experience for me because it just in certain scenes it just comes off so hokey and like in that moment with the invitation and let me in it's just like all right well how is this going to like compare to the original and it was just so night and day difference and it's like i i i can't put it on equal footing with the original because of it no i'm totally with you there with these two films I think with Let Me In, taking the chances that Reeves made with the discombobulated linearity of the story, I think was bold. I think it was gutsy, but it was a hell of a risk. And 
with this movie, it totally pays off because when it started and I saw what was happening, the thing that I knew right out of the gate is I was going to have to pay attention. And when a movie reaches out of the screen and slaps you in the mouth and goes, keep watching, that's a pretty profound thing. There's not a lot of movies that do that. I mean, and there's movies that are fun and there's movies that are just, you know, but to not... Because there was never a moment where I stopped in this movie and was like, or like I was doing, like watching the movie and then like I, my hand gravitated towards my phone and it was like, that never happened in this because that unexpected beginning and how much it was changed. I mean, and maybe change isn't the right word, but it, it was given to me so early that I, it, it kept me wondering what else is going to be different. Mm-hmm. And there were enough things in here that were different that. It was interesting. The story was a little bit changed. The dynamic between the characters was a little bit changed. Um, and that's what makes for a good remake, where I know the story, but I'm still tugged in, and I can still watch it, and I can still feel like I'm watching something different. And that's uh, that's an accomplishment. It, it's it's honestly a lot like Suspiria, where I know the story. And with Suspiria, it's like, it, if you're a horror fan, you know the story super, super well. But... Um, when it can be changed enough that you are intrigued and want to pay attention. I mean, that's, that's kicking the field goal. That's hitting the home run. It's the getting the great corner kick or it's getting the ACE. It's whatever stupid sports term you want it. Yeah. It, I like the, let the right one in a little bit more, but only a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, and to your point about scores, we're not going to score these Travis. Okay, because we don't do that. So, Travis, shut the fuck up. He'll understand that. It's funny. It's an ongoing gag. Um, Both of these are great movies. They're both worth a watch. Um, Just go out and and, and let them in. Uh, From the American version, I'm always disappointed that the Americans, when there's... call it a societal theme the americans will always jettison it mm-hmm. and not even come close to touching it always disappoints me i think there probably are some american directors producers whatever that might have the stones to do it they just tend to not um because americans are slow stupid and like to cause trouble and will make a big deal out of fucking nothing um so it, it that was a little disappointing because the one scene and the let the right one in was very jarring very jarring um and there was a couple of lines of dialogue that went along with that earlier in the movie where like she literally says to him i'm not a girl and he's just like it just goes over his head but it goes over his head because he's infatuated um and for me that's okay but it i i'm I'm always disappointed that americans can't approach those things with a little bit of a little bit of caution and a little bit of um uh, what's a good word? A little bit of compassion and just make those scenes and do them. It's like, I think of the movies that we have that have done that. Um, the last movie I can think of that really like even tackled something about like that was like Sleepaway Camp, right? Um, but it made it horrifying. And I don't think you have to make it horrifying. You can make it jarring. Jarring's fine. I like to be jarred. But like the horrifying scream at the end and that, like, okay. Yeah, the still yeah. shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's like when that's the American approach to that, that, that's the part that always makes me think that American cinema is always going to fall like one step short of any of these remakes because 
It doesn't seem like they have the uh, uh, emotional equipment to deal with this subject matter. And it's like, just, just do it and don't. You, you can make it a thing without making it a thing, if that makes sense, you know. And as Americans, we're not good at that. <laughs> and I think the way that our society is right now, it's just proof is in the pudding, you know. So, anyway, two great movies. Watch them, and if we're super, super lucky, you'll come back next week, and we can talk about a movie that I had never seen. <laughs> and then when I looked at it, I was like, oh, God, what is this going to be? And I was so fucking shocked at how good that movie was <laughs> that, I, I, okay, The Game of Death, 13, The Game of Death, Mm-hmm. is a fucking masterpiece. It is a fucking masterpiece. It's it's interesting. And I had no idea. <laughs> it's I interesting no because like idea. when I when I picked it out um this was the only one that I was like I know for a fact I have not seen the original of this and I've seen the US remake of it. And at the time, I didn't even know it was a remake. So when I saw that, I'm just like Fuck it, let's do it. And uh, it's also roll. Yeah. A, a Thai movie, which we haven't done a ton of like Thai horror uh, really at all. Uh, but yeah, next week or on on Sunday, assuming uh, we're both free, we'll do uh, Thirteen Beloved, aka Thirteen Game of Death, which is uh, the Thai version. Uh, it was later remade in the U.S. as Thirteen Sins, uh, and it is. It's one of those uh, like game show esque setups uh, where you have a contestant uh, who needs to go through a number of different challenges, and of course, morality definitely comes into play. There's a lot of money; the higher the stakes, uh, you know, things definitely escalate to a point where uh, definitely some uh, some lines are crossed. <laughs> that uh, even I was like watching the original. I was like, "Oh fuck, I don't think I can watch this." And I turned my head <laughs> during that scene, which we'll get into uh, next week. Um, oh, we but we had so much fun watching that last night. And I'm gonna say this again: that movie for it, it is very game show esque, but it's also when you're the only person who's in the game show, nobody else knows that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so fun to watch. We had, you know, that going through the movie, they talk about the number of Thai bot you would win. <laughs> and we and we kept doing the, the valuations, and it was like, that's 1,400 bucks. Like, would I do that for 1,400? <laughs> so it actually does put you, to your point, to a moral decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also our... Wonderful friend Lonely Bob and his comment about the poo poo platter. <laughs> I just about fell out of my chair laughing last night, and that damn chat feature would not let me comment. It, it was it, driving it, me nuts. Okay, so <laughs> it it was definitely kick last night. There were a number of streamers who were having issues last night, so it was okay. it was the service. I I I talked to a ton of people <laughs> since yesterday about it. Seemed like, hey, like, you know, what's going on? I don't know if they were doing like an app rollout update because I know they just did the app 2.0 that came out on iOS and Android, and that was kind of like making things a little finicky. You know, Justin mentioned she was randomly logged out. 
uh, as well. So, you know, it, it seemed to be going around for whatever reason last night in particular, but I'm assuming it was because of that in particular. But yeah, first time watch, I was blown away by it and it would have been okay. so like it had been so long since i had seen the u.s remake and i i remembered like certain challenges uh, that uh are shared between the two but there are definitely some differences in regards to that as well um but when i i had completely forgotten about the third act of the movie so like when you have like that final realization and i'm not gonna spoil it obviously but i was like holy shit like again i'm just like like mind blown! Like holy shit! Like I, I just had to take a take a sit back, and I'm like, man, like I really appreciated that. And when a when a movie can do that for the finale, you know, much like let the right one in and let me in, I'm just like, that's what I'm fucking talking about. Like that, like those are like the like cinematic experiences that I will always remember because it's like you're you're leaving on that note, and then you're just thinking about it the rest of the day <laughs> oh shit yeah i it's it's been a while since i have seen a movie like that one where i walked away and was just like holy fuck like mm-hmm. holy fuck and to your point it gets into your crop and you keep thinking about it and keep thinking about it and i mean and maybe that's the glory of uh like what we do and when we talk about movies and how we just like and, and especially movies that are because I think there's something to people that talk about new movies, and I think there's a certain level of fun about that. I know I like talking about new movies. I have a little bit of a, I want to be the first to see. I know you do too, so mm-hmm. don't even pretend that you don't. Um, but there's movies where it's like they've been buried in the ashes of cinema for the, the longest time, and then it's like you see them for the first time, and you're just like, holy shit, how have I not seen this before? Right. Because... Uh, uh, 13 the game of death is honestly i'll say it again it's a fucking masterpiece it's a brilliant movie uh and it's it's so weird to say that because i i i tend to think of myself as almost borderline hypercritical of movies because i watched so many that movie was fucking awesome it was awesome and i i find myself in a place already thinking the american remake's going to suck ass but I'll, I'll give it a chance i haven't watched it yet i will watch it before sunday obviously <laughs> cuz i have to um but it's for both a thai movie and i have not seen a lot of thai horror i've seen a few but not a ton of thai horror um but there are so many themes in that movie that are so relevant to today there are so many of the characters that you could pick out of your life, mm-hmm. which is really, I mean, and, and, but it's such a, despite the poo poo platter, the movie is so palatable and delectable and just so fun to absorb. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's one of those movies. You could watch it with your drinking buddies and you, you could have a hell of a good time. You could watch it with your wife. You could have a hell of a good time. You could watch it by yourself and have a hell of a good time because everything is so present and so perfect. Um, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners out there, before you go out and watch 13 Game of Death, uh, I want to know at what point in these challenges you would say, fuck that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> what challenge number? So there's 13 in total. So let let oh. us know at what point you're like throwing in the towel, saying like there is no way in hell I'm doing this. 
uh, because that is always going to be an interesting discussion. Like, how far are you willing to go in order to get that dough? Because <laughs> that's what it's well, all about in this case. Given the conversion to Thai bot, I know exactly where I would peace out. <laughs> but we can, but we can talk about that when the time comes. Absolutely, and you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe your answer might differentiate based on what movie <laughs> version as well. Uh, but time is going to tell on that front. But in the meantime, Good guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight for our uh, Let the Right One In and Let Me In discussion here on Hand of Scare. We will be back on Sunday for 13 Beloved, a.k.a. 13 Game of Death and 13 Sins. But in the meantime, you guys enjoy your weeks and we'll see you next week. You guys take care. See ya.